Welcome to the Preach and Persuade podcast. My name is Sam Parada. I'm here with Dan Rudman, and we are beginning another topic, a series. Well, it's going to be a series of discussions. Uh, it could go a long time. This one might go a while. We don't really know for sure yet, but we're going to be talking about, in, in general, in general, the topic of manhood and womanhood, biblical manhood, biblical womanhood. Um, that, that we'll just have that be the overarching theme or topic of this ongoing discussion. But there's going to be different grains within it. Um, certainly, we're going to be talking about hermeneutics, how to interpret our Bible. We're going to be looking at specific passages um, and how should we interpret this. So there's going to be a lot of different grains within this overarching topic of manhood and womanhood. And obviously, when you talk about manhood and womanhood, you 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 start to get into grains of marriage and sexuality and things like that. So that's all kind of underneath this broader topic of manhood and womanhood that we are going to be discussing over a series of episodes. Again, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know that (laughs) I don't necessarily always have a a tight plan of, you know, this many episodes with this, 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 and this. Uh, We kind of go as we go, go with the flow. Hey, maybe this podcast episode will last two hours and maybe the next one will be an hour and then we'll decide, oh, we need to do another one to finish our discussion. But uh, so you can just expect, though, that this will be an ongoing discussion. Uh, it will certainly be a handful of episodes um, underneath manhood and womanhood. So if you've been listening to our discussions, any discussion that we start or any topic, we, we usually like to start with a, some sort of introduction where we lay the groundwork, where we lay out, again, our presuppositions that are our bedrock, for every idea or every conclusion that we we come to. And so as we talk about what the Bible says about manhood and womanhood, we have to lay again our, our presuppositions, these these truths that we take to the table um, to even start the discussion. Because here's the deal. I say manhood and womanhood. I say words like complementarian or egalitarian. I say things like leadership, headship, or submission. And I, I guarantee you that even me saying these words right now start to b- bring up uh, maybe even some connotations that you have in your head. Uh, some, con- you know, maybe you've been in a Bible study and somebody brings up the term, uh, well, wives should, or th- maybe they'll say, well, wives should submit to their husbands. And you can just imagine, and you've probably been in a situation like this if you're a Christian, you've been a part of, you know, the Christian world for a while. You've probably been in a situation like that, and it instantly makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable. <laughs> and maybe you start getting a little clammy, and your hands start to sweat, and you get those little tingles in your armpits. I don't know. That's at least how I feel when I feel uncomfortable. You, you get tingles <laughs> in your armpits? It tingles in my armpits, like little pricklies <laughs> in my... <laughs> I don't I don't think I've ever heard of that. That's how I feel. If I get really nervous or uncomfortable, I like get the it's like little pricklies like needles poking me in my armpits. <laughs> okay. Well, so whatever it is for you personally, however you feel when you get uncomfortable. <laughs> so just fill in the blank for yourself there. Okay. Right. But but here's the deal. There's these there's these topics and these discussions and these even these biblical doctrines that that they just make you feel uncomfortable and they make you feel uncomfortable likely because the current culture that you're swimming in and that you're living in and the society that you live in during this time has usually, if this is a biblical doctrine and it makes you feel uncomfortable, it's because the society views this 
topic or issue totally different than how the Bible views it. And so we're in this world where we're always living in this tension of, man, am I going to meet somebody or am I going to have a discussion with somebody that thinks of this topic totally opposite than I do? And it's going to create some some hard conversations and some uncomfortability and stuff. And so even in our Christian world where we're in a Christian Bible study or a church Bible study, you really don't know what people believe about certain things necessarily. And obviously the more you get to, you know, the if you're in a long-standing Bible study and you've known these people for years, it's a little bit different. But let's just say you just enter a Bible study and you really don't know where people lie on certain issues or certain doctrines and you don't know what their background is. You don't know what they necessarily do for a job. You don't know how they grew up. You don't know which university they went to and you know what they have started to develop as their worldview, as their ideas and things. So, so there just can be a level of uncomfortability when a biblical doctrine is in just complete opposition to what the world says about something. So, biblical manhood and womanhood. The way the world views man and, and woman— is starting to become very opposed to how the Bible views man and woman. And and this is the same with sexuality, with a sexual ethic. The world's sexual ethic is, is way different than the Bible's sexual ethic. Uh, I mean, we see this too with homosexuality and transgenderism and all this, all these, these current topics that we're just kind of swimming in right now. It's just we're starting to see that what the Bible says about this is just totally different than what the world is saying about this. And whenever we find ourselves in this situation, then when you start to bring up these topics, you start to get uncomfortable. You get the tingles in your armpits. <laughs> hey, could I add to that, Sam? Um, yeah, just, add to it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, no, I want you to keep carrying on like you normally do, which is good. But um, I just was saying when you were talking about goodness, what did you just, how you just said it. Um, when there starts to be more well, polarization. It's not, it's not just that the Bible says something completely different. Um, it is that there is, I mean, there, there, there's opposing worldviews here that we need to be discussed. But in addition to that, for Christians within the church who are yeah. part of this world and culture, there's a lot right. of con- confusion about it. So right. the confusion could be a couple of different things. One is some people think the Bible is saying something and it really doesn't. Right. Uh, and, and other people just uh, have not thought through what the Bible says in contrast to the culture. There's a variety. Right. I'm just saying there's a varieties there. And I can't even think of them exactly, all. but I certainly know like, even when you said like earlier, the word submission, you'd have to say, no, wait a minute. Uh, let's go back. Let's go to the Bible. Let's work this yep. all the way through and think this yep. through because if God is good, which is a presupposition. And if God is who he is and he created the world, he did create the world to work a certain way and he put certain things in place and the outcome of that should be right and good. Exactly. And so we need we want to we want to look at that. What does God say about that? What does God put in place? And you kind of got to put those building blocks first. So you said another word real quick too. Then is you know connotation. And yeah. I, and again, maybe some haven't aren't used to that word, but connotation basically means we use the same word but we put different meaning into it. Mm-hmm. And that happens all the time politically. Oh man, especially the, with topics like this social media world political world uh and what drives the narrative or the current cultural moment is a lot of times this sort of stuff it's like they're using a word and then it 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 it, it could even be a word that turns into be a bad word well here would be a word patriarchy 
Yeah. Automatically, that's like this cuss word. Right, right, right. And it's not intended to be a cuss word. And, you know, maybe we'll avoid it because people think of it as a cuss word. But it's a connotation word. It's a people people automatically as soon as you say patriarchy, I'm telling you, the hair on people's necks stand up. They think bad stuff. They think you mean something bad. Uh, they think you mean men should oppress women or misogyny. Yep. Even that, that yep. becomes a connotation word. Okay, what do you mean by misogyny? Like, yep. I would, all right? these are. Yep. Right. They all become, so you got to start from the beginning and kind of work through. Okay, that's all I want to say. No, that's exactly right. And so here's the deal. Um, we're going to start our discussion, and we won't get to it quite yet because we're going to lay some more groundwork, presuppositions, hermeneutical principles. How do we interpret our Bible? We, we need to lay that groundwork first. But... This is where we're going to start after we lay their groundwork. We're going to go to Genesis. We're going to go to Genesis 1 through 3. We're going to look at the, the pre-fall conditions of Adam and Eve living in the garden. How did God create this world, this universe? And how did he create man and woman? And what did he create them for? What purpose? How do they interact with each other? All these things that God said, this is good. Before sin enter, entered the world and corrupted everything and confused everything and made everything a mess. So that's where we're going to go. But... Before we get there, I want to point out a few things that we are going to see when we get there. And you might want to call these, some people have called these creation ordinances. These things that are just inherent to how God created the world. These things that are so fundamental to how he created us and and how he created this universe. And uh, those things, if we look at them, what we really see in this uh, Genesis 1-3 through before the fall is we see uh, biblical manhood and womanhood, we see manhood and womanhood, we see sexuality, we see marriage, and we see work. And so those things are very, and we see life, life. So those things are, you could say, creation ordinances. Like, life is good. God created life, and it is good, and it should be upheld. God created a man, God created a woman. Those things are good, and however he defined a man and a woman, those, that should be upheld. God created humanity to work. Uh, work is good. It should be upheld. Uh, God created marriage. Marriage is good. It should be upheld. God created sexuality between a man and a woman. That is good. It should be upheld within the confines of marriage. These things, this is what I'm talking about, about creation ordinances. And so why I say this is such a, a relevant topic that makes us feel so uncomfortable, because when you look at the world right now, at least, I mean, we're in America right now, it's 2020, uh, and we look at I mean, this the political divide right now between Democrats and Republicans, conservatives and liberals. And and what we're starting to see, though, again, is like I've been saying, this this drifting apart um, between what the Bible says about these things and about what the world is saying about these things. And and you see that, man, a lot of the world, a lot of the secular secular world just sees sees these ordinances, sees the work, sees manhood and womanhood, sees sexuality, sees marriage, sees life, life itself, in a way different way, in just a completely different way than how the Bible does. And a perfect example of this is abortion. Uh, life is sacred. God created life, and it's good, and it should be upheld, it should be fought for, it should be protected. And you see, well, I think on average, they what do they, they uh, say, about a million babies are killed a year? Yeah, yeah, it's... I mean... It's ninety to a hundred thousand a month that we know of. Yeah. yeah, and that's and that's that we know of that we have documented. Yeah, and it could be more than that because some aren't documented. Yeah, and that's ridiculous. Like that is the that is, 
I can't overstate how serious that is. And, and again, that is a perfect example of where the world is drifting away from this inherent good creation ordinance of life itself. Life must be protected. Life must be, life must be upheld. Our secular world is drifting away from this, and they do not see life as something that should be upheld and protected. So that's the same thing going on here when we start to talk about man and woman. And what we'll get at is, and what you'll see is that, okay, when we start with our good presuppositions and we start with good hermeneutical principles and we start to look at the text, what is the text actually saying to us? We start to see that, man, it's not what the world is saying about this same topic. And I hope that's what we start to see, and it's, it should burden us, but it's why it's a topic that we need to be talking about. It's extremely relevant right now. So especially what's this hermeneutic go, mean? No, define hermeneutic. Yeah, yeah, ex- yeah. Hermeneutics, it's kind of a weird word. It really means uh, how do we interpret the Bible? What are the principles that we use to interpret the Bible? So hermeneutics really is, you could say, the science or the art of biblical interpretation. The well, science bo- or the art of biblical interpretation. It is a science, science and art. It's both. And an art. Yep, yeah. it's both. Yep. Yeah. So there really is, you could say, objective principles that we, um, that we use mm-hmm. when we interpret the text. Because um, words really do have meaning, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, and and all these things. And gra- there is such thing as grammatical rules within a language yeah. that we have to take into account. So there is a science to it, yeah. And there's also an art because it's not not every rule, like any grammar rule. You know, I before e except after c. Well, that doesn't work with every you know word. Uh, so there is an art to it too, in an aspect. Yeah. Um. Would you, did you have you, yeah, you I had to add something? Yeah, I, I had another thought that we, because we've done this so often with a number of the podcasts you and I spent time on, I don't know what we've done now, 10, 12, 15, 20 hours worth. Um, yeah. We've probably done this before, but I would say it again because I know podcasts stand alone a lot of times. It might be the only one somebody hears. So sure. one of the reasons that, you know, as Sam approaches me and says, hey, let's talk about this together in a podcast. And it's something I run into all the time. And again, you listen to all Sam's website or his podcast, his website. There's all of this idea of presuppositions, these things we start with, these things we come to the table with. Yep. But one of the ways I like to describe that and why this becomes important is, okay, so obviously there's this big, heavy topic out there, right? Like of men yeah. and women and you know feminism and sexuality. I mean, we all know that. And, we're, and Sam's already identified that. And some of us maybe right now listening is going, where's this going to go? I feel nervous. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what to do with this. But you see, to have the conversation about those issues, what often happens is people jump right into those issues. Well, mm-hmm. I think this, or I think this, or I think this. And yep. you're behind closed doors right now with your earbuds in or whatever you're doing and you're listening to a podcast. And I would just say, Seriously, think about your situation here. How much have you really said, I'm going to go from the Bible from the beginning to the end of my Bible and really mm. think through some of these issues? Yeah. I just have to be honest, most people don't. They really don't. They, right. Some, they heard somebody say something, well, so-and-so says this, you know, this celebrity pastor says this, this person said that. So you kind yep. of camp there. My church said this, but you've never really thought it through. Now, why that's important, the example I always use is navigation with a compass. And I've mentioned this to people, and because it's so common for me, I realize it's not common for a lot of people, okay? So if you were to pull out what's called a topographical map, 
And we were sitting yep. out, out in Colorado and we were looking at this topographical map. Basically, it shows the streams and the elevations and the mountains and these concentric circles. It's not like yep. a 3D map in the sense of like a photograph. It's it's a diagram of the area and you see the elevation yep. everything. Okay. Well, on that map in Colorado, you have to use a compass then. You lay a compass on that map to orient which direction you need to go. Right. And, and what people may not understand is that when you have a compass, you have a, it's an amazing thing that somebody discovered, right? Is that we live in this magnetic world and your compass has this thing and it points to north. When you look at a compass, you're probably familiar with that idea. It points north. But here's the problem. If you were out in Colorado, just imagine in your mind right now, if you can, a United States map. And for the most part, think right now, Colorado's in the middle of our country, the United States. And you put a compass in Colorado and you have this thing that points to north. And if you were to look at your map in Colorado, you'd say, okay, north is straight up off of Colorado. Yeah. That's, what you, that's what you're thinking. But the fact is, is that your compass doesn't actually point to the north on your map. Your compass points to what's called magnetic north, which, right. is, which is actually up by the Hudson Bay, which is actually almost due straight forward on a map north of Michigan. Right. So when you're in Colorado and your compass is pointing north, it's actually kind of pointing to your right a little bit towards the northeast if you were looking. Yeah, yeah. And so what you have to do with your compass or in your map is you have to calibrate for that little bit of a degree difference mm, mm -hmm. it's called declination and mm -hmm. on your on all your topographical maps it says okay you need to add or subtract 17 degrees or whatever on any calculation mm -hmm. you come up with to accommodate that your compass is not really pointing to the north on your map it's pointing off to the side a little bit okay mm -hmm. now why that becomes so critical i hope you can see this is that if you start off with your compass pointing the wrong way and you haven't like taken this declination into account on your map um if you were just to go like from one end of your house to the other you wouldn't notice a big difference right but if you tried to navigate from your house to across the city that you're in right now that you're here listening to me 10 miles 20 miles you you might be off by literally a quarter mile now yeah. you go all the way across the country or a way state off. You could be miles off. Right. And it's all because you didn't have the, the, the building blocks, the things put in the presuppositions. Let me just jump to the word. You didn't have those in the place in the beginning. Right. And so if we're going to have a conversation about a difficult thing out there as Christians, yep. we, we have to start with the right building blocks. We have to put those in place first that lead us then to that more difficult discussion. Exactly. You can't, you can't jump into that middle of that discussion. And I see it all the time. And I go, no, wait a minute. Let's go back to what God said. Let's, let's iron some stuff out here and put some pieces on the table, as I call it, first. Mm -hmm. And you almost have to take a breath and relax. Let's, let's not try to get too far ahead of ourselves. Let's not go to where this trajectory is going quite yet. Yep. Let's put the pieces on the table. And so in this conversation, because we know it's so, um, I hate to use the word volatile, but it sort of is. It's so emotional. It's so big deal in our culture, like any of these things, we should always do this anyway. But in, a, in Sam and I's conversation, when he asked me to participate, I said, you know, Sam, I really think you got to kind of start the whole conversation with making sure we're looking at the scriptures and saying, what are the blocks we have to start with, right? 
Yeah, exactly. Okay. So maybe I labored that too long, but we've... No, probably... I think that was exactly right. No, it's a yeah. and it's a perfect picture, and that's exactly what we have to do. Yeah. Hey, can, and, I, and can again... I give you one more example that's personal? Oh, for me? Okay, when I was about, absolutely. I was, well, I was a little bit older than you, Sam, and uh, my wife and I, it's a long story, but we uh, bought a mobile home and fixed it up and sold it, and then we bought our first house, and we fixed that up and made some money and got into our next house, and here we were in our... Yep, yep. You know, just a little bit older than you, and you know, though I kind of grew up a little bit as of a dad that had a was a handyman. We didn't have YouTube to go to and all that sort of stuff, so, <laughs> right? So you kind of just figured stuff out. And I lived in such a with a you know, uh, say what do you call it, economic level? It's like now I couldn't hire somebody to come in and do all this work on a house. I had to, I had to learn how to do it. So, mm -hmm. long story short, I put up kitchen cabinets one time, in just a small kitchen. It was our first. House, or second house we bought but it was a small kitchen and we bought these new kitchen cabinets and i'm going to install them <laughs> so i'm putting them up there and long story short you've got to make sure that first one is absolutely perfectly level yep you can't be off like an eighth of an inch and if some of you don't know what that is an eighth of an inch you know not much more thickness than a uh, a, a pencil lead okay you're right right you can't be off that far on that first one. It's got to be perfectly level because what happens, yep. and I, it happened to me. I, I mean, it wasn't even a big kitchen. It might have been 12 feet, but mm -hmm. I was off a little bit on that first one up there trying to do it by myself, you know, and put the screws in the wall. And I got that cabinet up there and I'm like, oh, that's pretty good. And believe me, I mean, you put the level on it, it looked pretty good, but it was off by just a just a little smidgen. By the time I attach a cabinet to that, just screw it on, attach another cabinet to that, screw it on. I get down there about five or six cabinets down the wall, and I'm like three-quarters of an inch off. Like, <laughs> I mean, they're absolutely crooked. Oh. But, but it was that same principle. It's like you yep. got you got to get that first thing set down first. Yep. And so before we get into the text here, certainly we say there's really a God that exists. Personal infinite triune God actually exists. And yep. He actually speaks to us. We start there and we go, okay, yep. so what, so what has he said to us about scripture? Right. What's, what's, what's the building blocks? And now we use these principles and I'll hand it back to you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll, we'll get into these principles. Another presupposition again is, yep. Infinite triune God exists. He's spoken to us. And what he has spoken to us is authority. It's authoritative. It's absolutely right. It's true. It's, it's fits reality. And as creatures of this God who has created us from nothing, he has spoken us into existence from nothing, he has every right, every right over our life. Like, we are owned by him. We are his. We do not have uh, authority in ourselves. We are not the captains of our vessels. We are not the determiners of our destinies. We aren't autonomous. We are, we're not, which means we're not, we're not self-governing. I don't govern myself. I'm not in control of myself. God is ultimately in control of every aspect of our lives and our beings. And and this makes sense to us when we think of ourselves. When we think of, hey, I just I just drew this beautiful picture. I can do whatever I want with it now. I can sell it. I can crumple, crumple it up, throw it in the fire and burn it. I can do whatever I want with it. It's my picture. I drew it. I made it. Now God made us. We are his. We are his creatures. He has every right over us. He has complete authority over us. So, I mean, that's that's a that's a presupposition you have to understand. Because then, when God starts to speak to us, because He has spoken, and what He has spoken is true and is accurate, and He is good, <laughs> and He is righteous and holy, 
that when he has spoken us and told us, hey, this is this is how I made you, or this is who I made you to be, or this is how you flourish in life, we should listen to that. <laughs> we should heed that. I mean, he's not deceiving us. He's telling us something that's real. Like, hey, this is how I created the universe. This is how I created you. And now this is how you should act in this universe. And you should probably listen to that. And that's what's so amazing about the law. Here God saves his people out of out of captivity, out of slavery in Egypt. And now he gives them this law. And 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 it's written down by his own hand, you know, the Ten Commandments on these on these stone tablets. And then uh, he continues to give Moses more law that he writes down and carried around in the Ark of the Covenant. It's like, and it's such an amazing thing because it's telling these people, this is how you, this is how you live in this world that I made. And this will result in your flourishing and your joy and your fulfillment and your blessing. Like it's an amazing thing. And it's an amazing thing that, like, for the nation of Israel, who were at that time God's chosen people, they stood apart from every single other person in all of the world because they actually had the words of God. They had the law. They they were given direct revelation from from the creator of the universe of how they should live in this created universe. Like, that's incredible. Like, I don't I don't think we understand how big of a deal this is. And now today we have a Bible, we have more revelation, now we have the full canon of revelation that God had determined to give to humanity. Here we have it in our hands right now, I'm literally holding a Bible in my hands, I have a bunch more on my shelf, it's incredible, I have it on my phone even. (laughs) I mean, it's ridiculous how many Bibles I got all over the place. And I have it, and I can hold it in my hand, and I can read it every day, and it tells me truth, it tells me what's real. It tells me about myself. It tells me about God, and I can trust it, and it's authoritative. And so when it tells me as a man, here I am a man. I'm a biological man. God created me a man. When it tells me this is how you should act as a man, man, like I should should take that as seriously as I possibly can because here's the deal. God doesn't deceive. He doesn't lead us like he – his intentions with this book is to lead me into holiness, obedience, blessing, joy in him, fulfillment. And if I if I want to live as God created me to live, then I should take that seriously and I should live according to how he tells me to live as a man. And if you're a woman and in this book tells tells you how you should live as a woman, you should take that seriously. I mean, this is a big deal, and I, I mean, I don't think I can overstate it how big of a deal it is. And again, presuppositions. This book is speaking truthfully to us. It's telling us real things about reality. And, you know, uh, God is a is a, an ordered God. Um, that's why we have such things as logic and reason, linear thinking, Um because there's a progression in a sense, uh, and there's a reason why the, our Bibles start where they do. They start in the beginning, and they tell us about the beginning, how God created the world, and it's important that we start there and understand it so that other things, when God continues to reveal more things in, in the history of humanity later on in our Bibles, it makes sense, and it's built on something that's already happened. And, and 
that's part of a hermeneutical principle. So let's actually talk again. That was a, <laughs> just a little bit of something on my heart, I guess, as we continue to get into this topic. Well, that's why you call uh, but, it, that, well, that's, that's why you call it preach and persuade because yeah, because I I preach a little bit, don't yeah, I? Yeah, <laughs> you needed to preach, and now you're going to persuade. I needed to preach. Yeah, okay. no, yeah, I needed to okay. get that preaching off my chest a little bit there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, hermeneutical principles. Because okay, here's the deal. We're finite creatures. We don't know everything. I've only been alive for 24 years, and I mean, and even brain development. What do they say? Well, scientists say that uh, a human brain isn't isn't done developing until 25. So I technically have one more year of even brain development. Oh, left. Sam, that ex- <laughs> that explains a lot now, doesn't it? Yeah, that's why <laughs> now I know now I know so why stupid. now I know why you don't believe me all the time when I try yeah, to tell I know. you something. What the heck? I'm still not even quite fully developed. <laughs> <laughs> just remember just remember that yeah yeah exactly man oh i guess better shut this podcast off i'll just start it back up in a year when i'm 25 okay all right <laughs> uh see we like to joke around a little bit and have some good laughs hopefully you laugh along with us and don't yeah. think we're idiots <laughs> but here's the deal when we come to this book the Bible, I mean, it's made up of 66 different books written over a period of a little over 1,500 years, nearly 2,000 years, uh, this period of time where it was written, and God revealed these words to men, and this Holy Spirit inspired uh, men to write the very words of God. Like, we have these, thing call, these things called gaps, you could say, or challenges that, or barriers in place that, that uh, hinder us in a way. Or you could say provide some sort of an obstacle for us to correctly understand and interpret the Bible accurately. And so there's there's these gaps in place, and we're going to go through these gaps. What are what are some of these gaps that are that are in, okay? In can place I for us? can I stop you right there? Um, yep. Just because we're having this conversation, I know what you mean by gaps as we talk, and I know what you mean by these hindrances. What I would yeah. liken it to, so people don't think it's too, it doesn't like there's these huge. Because 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 we live in a culture that thinks, hey, these are things are insurmountable. Oh yeah, we'll never get past this. Yeah. So right. that so that so a gap that you're talking about would be similar to me having a conversation with my wife on mm. some issue that she, as a full woman, you know, we've been married today actually 37 years, and mm-hmm. she has a way of thinking about something. Uh, and mm-hmm. I have a way of coming at it, and we have to mm-hmm. sometimes work through that communication to come to, because we're looking at the same thing, right? No, that doesn't mean I think it's a dog and she thinks it's, uh, you know, uh, an elephant. <laughs> <laughs> we are actually looking at the same thing. <laughs> yeah. We just want to describe it or deal with it differently. So sometimes that could be conflict. Sometimes that could be communication, right? So when you say a gap, it just means coming to the table saying, okay, so when we think of the scriptures, God's speaking to us. Yep. He's trying to communicate something with us. We, we lean towards the fact that, well, if God wanted to communicate with something, he has the complete capacity to get it to me. He, yep. really, he really does. But he did use real means, and these means yep. are real words on real paper. Yep. And so when you say gaps, it doesn't mean these are insurmountable, but these are three key areas that we have to uh, reconcile yeah. reconcile or take into account in yep. our conversation. Like I have to take account things with my wife that she has to take accounts with me. We've lived yep. 
you know, that I come at certain things a certain way and she does, but I know, see, I know enough to know, oh, this is how she comes at that. Let me listen to this and think this through. Yep. Right. So here's another way. Here's another way to think about it. This, uh, here's another example. And we all experience this, these, these gaps presently when we communicate today, like Dan just said with him and his wife. So for instance, we all are familiar with text messages. We know this (laughs) and We've all understood that some of the barriers when it comes to communicating properly and accurately through a text message is, hey, people aren't picking up my tone of voice or my body language yeah, because it's just, a, it's just some text. So that is a barrier. You could say that's a gap right there. There's a gap of you. these two people aren't in the same place at the same time talking to each other where they get to actually see each other, see their body language, see their tone, hear their tone of voice, that type of thing. So that's a barrier right there. But it's not, it's not, I mean, but th- you could say millions of text messages are sent every day and they're properly interpreted and understood. <laughs> yeah. So it's not like this insurmountable gap. Like when I send a test message, I'd say 99% of the time it's correctly interpreted and understood. And if it's not, usually a clarification would help that. And it does. And then it, you know, provide, you know, mm-hmm. you, get, you get what I'm saying. So now, even today though, Culture to culture. So when I, when Dan and I go over to Africa, there are some barriers in place of communicating properly. And man, you go over to a different country and (laughs) you try to order food at a restaurant and you don't know the language. Oh, it can be difficult. But usually I still get what I wanted. (laughs) And so somehow I was able to communicate properly, whether it's pointing down at a menu or something (laughs) or whatever it is. So again, we are we are familiar with communication barriers even today. They're everywhere today. We get it, but the vast majority we're still able to to overcome those barriers and still communicate properly and have people understand us. It's really yeah. truly so, amazing. So would it be better in communication to say these are hurdles that we have to go over? Yeah, hurdles. Yeah. See, exactly. when, I, when I hear barriers, I just again, I already said. Oh it. yeah, you're not getting through that. Yeah. We're no. not talking about something that's insurmountable. No. We're not talking about a chasm so great you can't cross it. We're we're just right. saying these are a hurdle or a, a, a little hole in the road that you got to take into account when you're right. going from here to there. Okay. Exactly. Okay. So what are those things? Those examples help us understand what we're talking about. Well, the first, Dan said there's three categories. The first category is historical challenges when we come to the Bible to interpret it and understand it. Historical challenges. And so that the first one, there's three in this, in this, in this category. The first one is called a time gap. And it's the events depicted in Scripture occurred in a historical context far removed from the 21st century. So, I mean, we, we look at even, you know, what, what, what year did, was Moses right around 1500 BC? Was that, yeah, is that, that right? Am I right in that? That's how I remember it. Yeah. 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 Right around that time. Yeah. So that means that that historical context and that culture that he was living in 1500 BC is 3,500 years ago. <laughs> that's quite the time gap. Like that's a long time. And so there is this reality that he is operating, he's living in, he's writing in a time that is 3,500 years removed from our current time today, which means he's, he's writing in a historical context where, man, the technology is 3,500 years 
removed from our current day today, our our technology today, all the things that encompass, you know, the way you live, you know, the way they they acquired food and their type of work and the type of housing that they lived in and all these things are are different than how we experience life in the 21st century. So that's that's one of these hurdles. It's called the time gap. Events depicted in scripture occurred in a historical context far removed from the 21st century. The next one is the geographical gap. The events recorded in the Bible took place in lands far removed from the, that of most Bible students. Now, this isn't the case with everybody. If you uh, if you live in Israel, Israel right now, and you're reading the New Testament, you actually have a far more you have a your your hurdle to to jump over is far smaller than ours is over here in America. Um, now, if you go and visit and take a trip to Israel and you get to uh, tour these these historical and geographical places that you know are depicted in in the New Testament and stuff, great. Now you have a better understanding. Um, but that's that's a gap because the Bible speaks and it's speaking about actual historical places in real time, geographical places, real geography, real mountains, real places, real rivers, uh, real nations. Real lakes, real seas, all that stuff is real. And the better we understand this, you know, that geography, the, the smaller, smaller of a hurdle that we're going to go over. Uh, for instance, I, I grew up on Sybil Lake. Uh, so if somebody uh, also grew up on Sybil Lake and we start talking about something around the area or around Sybil Lake, hey, I caught fish over here, like they're going to – like. Far quick, more quicker than somebody else who doesn't know Sibyl Lake is going to understand what I'm talking about, is going to know what to do if I'm saying go fish here. Boom, they got it. So, again, that's a challenge. Geographical gap. Cultural gap. The cultures reflected in the Bible are drastically different than our own. And this makes sense, too. And this is just a reality with, with our day-to-day. I go over to China, and their culture is different than the culture here. I go over to Africa, and their culture is different than the culture here in America. And, and even within America, there's different cultural ebbs and flows. Uh, the, the Midwestern, North Dakota, Minnesota culture, even the way we talk, uh, we have this certain accent. <laughs> uh, it's just a little bit different. Even some of the things we eat are different up here in the Midwest. You know... Uh, Minnesota, I think, is the only state that calls it this game Duck, Duck, Gray Duck. Everybody else calls it Duck, Duck, Goose. Like, <laughs> cultural things. But again, another barrier. But again, not insurmountable. Uh, the next category is... Okay, so let me step back, Sam. So yeah, th- this is all actually... So if you are listening to us thinking an outline, there's actually, yeah. there's actually three large categories... Yep. And the first one you just covered is actually the historical category. Historical category. And in yep. the, in that, we have to deal with time, geography, yep. and culture. And culture, correct. Right. That's all under one category that we have to consider. Exactly. Okay, now, yep. you go, now your second category. Okay, got it. Second category, literary challenges to understanding the Bible. Yep. Literary challenges. Or literary hurdles, if we want to use the term hurdle. And there's two in this broader category. And the first one is language gap. So the language of the Bible, uh, the languages of the Bible are far different than English. And again, obviously we're doing this podcast in English, so we're going to say English. If you're a different 
different country and you you know you speak French or uh, Arabic or whatever it is, you know, far different than that language. So the languages of the Bible are far different than English. The Old Testament was primarily written in Hebrew with small segments of Aramaic. The New Testament was written in Koine Greek or Common Greek, and it's even a different Greek than what is you know spoken or written in today. Uh, so the language gap that makes sense too. Again, we we understand this when we go to a different country and they speak a different language. There's a level of hurdles that we have to overcome to properly communicating. If I want to order this off the menu and I really don't know how to say this or I really don't even know what it is, like there's just going to be a level of hurdles that we have to go over. And that's why in seminary we we have we learn. Hebrew, we learn Aramaic, we learn Greek. We learn these languages so that we can read the Bible in its original language. Now the literary gap is the second one. There are many genres and subgenres utilized by the biblical authors. To properly handle the text, we have to learn to navigate the diverse literary genres represented in Scripture. So, the way I read an email is going to be different than the way I, the way I read a, a love poem, you could say. Let's say, uh, let's say I don't have a girlfriend. Let's just say I had a girlfriend. She writes me a poem. Uh, the way I read that is going to be different than the way I read some email I get from a boss or something like that. So there's different genres uh, in the Bible. Well, and we have well, to it, for people that are. I mean, I, I'm guessing a lot of people are familiar with that, but think of genre of music. That's how what I think of it. Like, you know, you got jazz, you got rock and roll, you yeah, got yeah, co- yeah, country western, you got blues, you got, uh, you know, whatever polka. You got, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. I grew up in Polish country, so I'm very familiar with polka. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you're not, but anyway, uh, you have different yeah genres, and you have to take that in consideration in this literary area. Exactly. So that's the uh, that's the two in the literary challenges. Hey, let's category. go back. Let's go back genres though. That you, we're, we got we got narrative. We got historic. We got poems, yeah, historical narrative. You got poems, apocaly- poetry, apocaly- wisdom, apocalyptic, end times, futuristic. Yep. yep. Prophetic prophecy. Yep. Pre- Epistle. Pre- yep. And sometimes a given book of your Bible has a combination of some of those. Yeah, it does. It's easy to think. Well, this book is just. You know, one of those genres, but a lot of times there's a little bit of a mixture of genres. Yeah, especially in in the prophets, especially the large prophets like Isaiah, Ezekiel, yeah. Jeremiah. You get a mix of wisdom. Uh, you get some. You can even get some of the apocalyptic and, yeah. and prophecy type stuff. Speaking of the future, um, some historical narrative within those as well. So yeah. it can it can vary, and we have to be very aware of what's the genre that I'm reading right now, and has it switched if I'm reading in one book. But you usually, you know, a book kind of stays consistent. There might be pockets of different genre. Yep. Uh, and, and the thing is, the epistles, especially Pauline epistles, they're going to be very familiar to the way we, uh, a lot of our genres are today, mm-hmm. especially in the email world that we live in. Very linear, very logical, uh, very to the point, um, very literal in a sense. Yeah. So, again, different genres, literary gap. So, third category, third and final category, and this is the theological challenges to understanding the Bible. Theological challenges or hurdles. First one is supernatural gap. And that is the Bible presents supernatural realities and uh, miraculous events, things not normally experienced in the natural world. 
And this is the one that throws uh, the non-believer <laughs> usually for a loop, uh, especially today when we live in a very materialistic and uh, society where uh, science explains everything type of thing. Uh, we have our natural laws. We got we got the the force of gravity. We got the electromagnetic force. We got the weak and strong nuclear force. Uh, we got the speed of light. We got all these natural laws and mathematical things that we just, you know, help help us interpret the world. And and anything that defies these laws just can't happen. Uh, and so the idea of of miracles in the Bible throws uh, people for a loop. Because here's the deal. Uh, God is spirit. God is supernatural. Um, he created this universe from nothing. And he has the ability to uh, act outside of natural law or, in a sense, against natural law or contrary to it. Now, he do- our experience of reality is that the vast majority of our, of our experience is completely in line with the natural, again, according to these natural laws that God has created and upholds. But once in a while... Uh, we see something miraculous or supernatural that goes against this natural law. And that happens. And when we read the Bible, we see that miraculous all the time, especially in the ministry of Jesus. He raised people from the dead. He healed diseases. He he cured the blind. All these miraculous things. Think of Moses, parting the Red Sea, all these, these different plagues that uh, happened to Egypt, miraculous things, Elijah and Elisha. <laughs> Their ministry was very miraculous. So those things are common to the Bible. And we have to understand that when we read the Bible, we're reading a, 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 a events that they're not, uh, they're not afraid to talk about the miraculous. That's something that actually happens because God is a supernatural God. He's spirit. And he has the power to do whatever, whatever he wants in this universe. So... The second one under the theological challenges is the theo- well, it's the theological gap, <laughs> uh, and that is that the Bible is God's self-revelation in His in His Word and must be read with the expectation that it communicates truth to humankind. So this is our big presupposition that we've been hammering home for so long, Dan and I, and that is that <laughs> God is communicating to us truthfully. <laughs> so again, the Bible is God's self-revelation in his word, and must be read with the expectation that it communicates truth to humankind. So, if you're going to the Bible and you're thinking that it's not communicating to you truth, well then, man, you're not going to come to a right understanding of it at all. The final one is the appropriation gap. And... The meaning of this is, even once we bridge the gaps to interpretation, we still must transfer the message from interpretation to application. This is often a greater challenge than interpretation, but absolutely necessary. This one is very difficult. So we have all these all these uh, hurdles that we've mentioned, six of them so far, uh, minus the appropriation one. And it, it leads to this, this, this hurdle of the appropriation gap, which is, okay... Taking into account all these 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 hurdles that we've mentioned, uh, whether it's the historical, whether it's the literary, and whether it's the theological, now I've come to an interpretation of this text. Now, how do I apply it to my life? And there's a little bit of a hurdle there. 
because we live in different cultures. We live with a different language. We live in a different time with different technology. Um, and so that's, that's certainly a hurdle that we have to overcome. How do we apply this to our lives? Yep. So those are the, those are the hurdles. Do you have anything to add on that, Dan? I do. I have a couple, two things, uh, one on the front end of it. Okay. So because we live in what's called postmodern times, so we live in a day that we don't have time to get in here. We did other podcasts on it, but it's, it's, there's a huge hermeneutic, interesting enough of suspicion. <laughs> it's called the hermeneutic <laughs> of suspicion. Like, yeah, yeah. like, Probably most of the people listening to this, at least here from the West, I know there's some people in other places, other parts of the world listening to it, but there's this hermeneutic of suspicion that says that everything is about power and everything I come to, I'm supposed to be suspicious of. And, and if you will, look at the water, look at the glass uh, half empty. Yeah. Okay. And what we have to realize is that as you were going through each of these, so we said historical and you, you highlighted three things under the historical time, geography and culture. Yep. Well, what's really interesting about that, as you did mention it, but like we have tremendous background on this stuff. Like there is tremendous history that helps us understand the time. There's, oh, yeah. We understand the geography. We live in the same world where these things right. had unfolded. That's one of the amazing things about the scriptures. This is not hobbits and elves and <laughs> fairyland. These are real kids. <laughs> No, really, seriously. These are real kings and real places. And the fact of the matter is, is the more archaeology we get, the more we dig stuff up from underneath the it, ground. It confirms it. It confirms it. So, again, I'm trying to highlight here, in a culture where we're so suspicious of this, this is not insurmountable. And then full, further, even the culture. You and I have experienced this because you've mentioned it on a number of podcasts. But it's fascinating when we go to another culture, how much we actually have in common, though. That's the fascinating oh, yeah. thing. Of and, and how quickly how quickly we can learn these cultural things. Oh, listen, uh, listen. I remember going to Egypt, okay? And I went to the yep. uh, uh, Cairo Museum. Never forget it. Yep. It was before you went there with me, Sam, the one year. I think, and I think I told you about it. But this tour guide's taking us through the museum. We just had a really short day, like a few-hour tour. I mean, you could spend a week there. So I just, just a few hours. But he takes us through this one area, and he's showing us these showcases of this... Um, stuff unearthed in the in you know one of the pyramids of one of the pharaohs and yep. i can't i can't remember which one it was i don't think it was tutankhamun but i don't know but it was uh from three thousand years ago yeah and i had to take pictures of this because i thought nobody's gonna believe this so first of all the in there was the guy's like kitchen stuff you know, like spatulas yeah. and bowls and all that sort of thing. <laughs> and then he had tools like a hammer and screwdriver. I know it sounds weird, but it was probably a chisel, I mean, you know. But he had a, yeah. like a toolbox. He had tools just yeah. like we have. <laughs> and so you're going to laugh. Then he had, he had bows and arrows. Like, I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, yeah. Like, I got a bunch of bows and arrows here in my office. Yeah. He actually had his wife or wives. I don't know what it was, but it was lingerie. You guys, <laughs> literally... From 3,000 years ago, you could look at it. They had it like put up on a wall in a plaque, and it's like it's like what you would think is lingerie. It was all frilly and had all this decoration on <laughs> yeah. it. I'm like, good night, 3,000 years ago. And then in the, in, and in the case, the guy had contraceptives. He had condoms made from, yeah. made from like animal uh, animals, uh, scrotums and probably, stuff. Yeah, probably animal intestines. Whatever it was. And, and you're like, it was almost comical, like... 
not much has changed. <laughs> right. I'm looking at this ancient guy from 3,000 years ago, and so much of his life was like me. And then the big one is, and I actually got a piece of the artwork and I brought it home. Uh, it's right here in my office right now. Is that there's this common um, uh, image that's painted on papyri over there everywhere. Yep. Yep. And, and it's the day of judgment. These Egyptians yep. were looking at this day of judgment and it would it would unfold a little bit different. We would, but, but it's definitely, it's the scale and it's all about the good versus the bad. And if you did more good than bad, then you tip into this area of this photograph and you come under this God and blah, blah, blah. But the point was, it just totally struck me that here's this ancient people and they're literally thinking about eternal life, which mm -hmm. is what the pyramids were all about. They're thinking, or a life after, they're thinking about judgment. They're thinking about justice. This guy's got tools and a bow and arrow and yep. his wife's lingerie. And and you're like, all I'm going to say under this historicity, historicity issue, there's a whole lot more in common than not in common. Yeah, you could say there's a lot more continuity than discontinuity. There it is. That's the point. That's all I want to say. Yep. So even yep. as you went through this, if it's the first time somebody heard this, they could get kind of freaked out. You don't have to You're get like, freaked oh, out. Oh, how can yeah. I ever understand the Bible? No, 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 and no. Then, no. <laughs> and then secondly, the next one. So historically, you got time, geography, culture, not insurmountable. It's amazing how consistently and what we know. Okay. But you, yeah. do, it, but you do have to take it into account. The, yeah. next, the next one in literary, I just want to make mention, as much as like we go to seminary and we study the original languages, there's a couple things I want to say. Number one, it's amazing how like even God providentially... Uh, gave us his word in uh, in Greek because it's such mm. a detailed language. Mm. You know, mm -hmm. you talk, you know, a lot of times we talk about the word love, but there's actually like 16 connotations or nuances of love. Mm -hmm. And you can find those in the Greek. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. There's like, like, mm -hmm. like, there's a whole bunch of this stuff. And, mm -hmm. and so it gives us a really high definition TV is what the Greek does. But yep. Our modern English translations and those around the world that are listening to other uh, translations, for the most part, I don't know all the different translations, but certainly the English translation, it's incredibly, credibly detailed and accurate with tremendous research and tremendous uh, scholarship behind it. And so for the most, right. most part, everybody listening to this, when you pick up your English Bible, you're actually reading a really, really good translation rendition of the original language. Right. For the most part. For the most part. And as a clarification on that, because we have all yep. these different English translations, there is there is these two sides. You have a more literal translation. We're going to try to translate the Greek or the Hebrew as literally into English as we possibly can. Yeah. Um, and it, it can be a little bit more choppy of a, of a read in English. And then there's the, more, the, the, the side that drifts more towards the ease of readability – I just want to make this flow well, and the air, could, the air with that is it, it can be easier to read in English, but it can start to drift into being an interpretation rather than a translation, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it's almost so, we, so it's thought for thought. It's trying to it's trying to take those thoughts and put them in modern thoughts, but you're not getting the detail of necessarily the actual right. wor words right. and the structures right. and those things and the precision yeah. of it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so. When we have Bible translators, we want translators, not interpreters, if that makes sense. Yeah. We want guys who understand the the ancient language to a T, and they get a bunch of them together, all these scholars together, yeah. and 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 they come up with the you know the most accurate translation into yeah. the English 
that you can get. And th- so, those are our translations like so, NASB, ESV. Yeah. New American Standard, uh, ESV, King, yep. J- King James. Discussion of those, but those are yep. those more, more literal. Literal translation, yeah. if you want to say that. And then the, the on the other end, you end up with the message. Right. That one of which our, is a paraphrase. Which is totally called a paraphrase. It's really not good for study. I mean, maybe it's no. fun to read. But but the fact, one of our AFCI guys calls it the massage. <laughs> <laughs> Al calls it the massage. Yeah. <laughs> it makes you feel good. It may not really convict yeah. you. May not convict yeah. you and really speak God to you, but at least you feel good when you're done. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Oh, that's, that's so funny. anyway, there's the literary and the theological, I think, speaks for itself because you got there. Um, but the big yeah. thing, I just want people to know, it's, so you asked me, I'm sorry, in a day of suspicion, it doesn't mean these things are insurmountable. They're very doable. It, it, we, God has an intention of speaking to us. That's why these things are in place. And when we apply these things act, uh, appropriately, we end up with an incredible interpretation that's mm. pretty spot mm. on. You might overstate or understate something a little bit on some things, but it's pretty spot on. It's not way right. off. It's not way off by any right. means. And then right. the last thing I was going to say, there's actually a doctrine in light of all of this to give people comfort. There's actually a doctor, doctrine in the Westminster Confession of Faith called the perspicuity of Scripture. It speaks of this. Big, yeah. fan, big fancy word that says God so much wants to communicate to us, you guys. That when you pick up your English Bible and you read it, pretty much, most of the time, the pretty much straightforward reading when you read something, there's no trickery you're looking between the lines trying to go, oh, what's really being said here? You don't have to do mental gymnastics. It's pretty straightforward, more than people realize. Yeah. There's sometimes a little color to be added. Like I tell people, it's like watching a color TV you know, maybe a basic older one, and now we have these really high level. What's the latest now? Is it the plasma? I don't even know. But well, the, 4K, whatever the latest yeah. really high definition yeah. how many TV, pic- right? How many pixels? Yeah. Okay, but but in fairness, both are you're watching the same ball game and you're seeing the same plays, and yep. you're I mean, like you really are. the the, yep. dif- the difference is you know, maybe a little clarity on a couple of things. And and that's what that's what the, our teachers and pastors and elders they help us see they help us see the yeah. the clarity more and help us see the 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 sharper lines you could say on the picture yeah um, and what helps us with that is obviously that's why a guy goes to seminary and he immerses himself in the study of the original language and the the historical context yeah uh, and and um, and systematic theology and all this stuff so that he can help you know, the congregation more better see this picture more yeah. clearly. They're seeing then, it. Yeah, and this is why why when I say perspicuity of Scripture, we, I want to give people a comfort that when you read your Bible, God has a complete capacity to speak to you, to communicate with you, tell right. you the, 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 the 95, 98% gist of what this thing is. You don't have to yep. freak about it. But um, this is why another, on a different note, I'm not trying to go on a side note, a rabbit trail, and I have no intention. So, Sam pull it back but, <laughs> but why with somebody you'll hear somebody writes a book and they have this new idea yeah, yeah. about something we've all missed or new we all, perspective we, we we all missed it we've all missed it forever and it's like two thousand years of church history missed it and it's like <laughs> no usually no usually that's that's an oversell i mean like <laughs> we really you know we really haven't missed it 
We really, we really no. have. And it's the reason we can go to another culture in the middle of Africa with a bunch of people from different walks of life. And we haven't missed it. We really haven't right. missed it. There might be a little nuance here or there, but it's no big right. deal. So right. I'm guessing most people listening to this podcast are not scholarship people from a seminary trying to figure this out. I want to give people a comfort that the average person reading this can pick up their English Bible, do some basic study, take into yep. consideration some historicity, you know, the genre, what's being said here, what kind of is this poetry or is this history, and then thinking it through theologically. And the average person who listens right now is going to be like 98% on the text. Yep. It's pretty, yep. it's pretty stinking straightforward. Right. And here's... Here's why you would come to a wrong conclusion, because you already made up your mind. You have this, or you already have this assumption. You already, hey, I've already figured it out, and now I'm gonna go to the text, and now I see something. I'm, I'm reading it pretty straightforwardly. There it is. It's pretty straightforward. It's pretty literal. There it is. I can't miss it, and I just don't like it. It jives with what I've already decided in my mind before I even came to the Bible, and now I'm just gonna try to do, uh, uh change the text a little bit or try to find a hidden meaning within this very straightforward passage to mean something else so it doesn't jive with what I've already decided is true for me. And that's, we call that, you're bringing your biases, you're bringing your pre-understandings or, uh, uh, to the text and you're imposing it on the text. Yeah, the fancy fancy word for that is called eisegesis. Exa- yep. And, 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 and equally, I think, I mean, maybe they read into that, like what people will do is you have an idea in your head. You picked up this yep. idea from somewhere, some study you've done. It has nothing to do with the scriptures. And you try to come to the Bible, and you find something in the Bible, and you go, oh, there it is. Yep. And you take this verse out of the Bible, out of the context, out of the historical context, out of the literary genre, you know, yep. out of the theological harmony that's meant to be there. And you, yep. pull, you pull it out of there, and you attach it to your preconceived idea and say, see what the Bible says? Yeah. And I Man. think I think Sam. I don't. Again, I don't know where this whole podcast is going to go. But it, maybe this is even a segue. I don't know if you intended it to be. But well, I still is... I want to go through the the, the principles that we okay. use though okay. when we interpret but, the Bible. But let me just say then right now that's why this is so critical in this discussion and why we're spending so much time laboring this before we talk about the view because so much of what we see happening is there is a powerful, powerful, I'll call it narrative worldview. Mm system of thought about men and women in our culture today that's driving tons of policy, public policy, you know, mm-hmm. redefining marriage, all of these things. And what happens is it's a big pressure. It's a pressure for all of us. Mm-hmm. And, and we want to get along in our workplaces and we want to get along with friends and we don't like conflict. I, we all get that. But what happens is we take those ideas that are floating around out there and they do not come from a Christian worldview. And right. we and we bring those back. And there's people writing books that do this. And what they're doing then is they're bringing that back and then they'll say, let me give you the biblical view. And they then start using Bible verses to, um, what's the word I'm trying to use? Uh, to make the case for this view that they pulled from outside of the Christian worldview. Yeah. We, we sometimes call it, they bring it into the church and baptize it with Christian terminology. Yeah. Yep. But that view, they transplant it. 
Yeah, but the problem is, is that didn't start in the Christian worldview. That didn't start with a biblical presupposition. It started out there, and you brought it in and attached some Bible verses to it, and and you say, see, that's biblical. And it, no, 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 that's not necessarily biblical. Right, right, right. So enough said. You go ahead with your principle. Sorry. Yeah. So, so okay, we have these seven. Uh, I think it was seven, right? Uh. Well. Yes. Well, we we had eight. We had eight. Uh. Individual things under the main categories of history, literary, and theological. Yes. So now we have seven sensible principles for thinking through Scripture. And where I'm getting this, guys, you can just buy this book. You can read it. There's plenty of good hermeneutics book out there. But this one is, it's a shorter read. Some hermeneutics books are just giant book behemoths. Uh, this one's called Inductive Bible Study. It's by Richard Allen Furr Jr. and then Andreas uh, Kossenberger. And it's about a 300-page book, pretty pretty manageable. And so you can buy this book. I would encourage you to buy and read it. Um, so he has these wonderful tables in here and explains them very well. Um, so I'm just quoting from, from this book because he just does a great job of laying out these hermeneutical principles for us. So, I again, buy this book, read it. Um, seven sensible principles for thinking through Scripture. Uh, so we had you could say we had eight hurdles. Here's seven principles now. The first one is the literal principle. Take the words of the Bible at face value. Avoid reading into the text what is not there. So we just kind of talked about that. Uh, the second one, contextual principle. Always strive to understand the text within the confines of its historical, literary, and theological context. What did this mean to this culture at this time to this people with what, they, with what their knowledge was? And <laughs> we see this happen a lot. We read our scientific understanding today into the text back then and say, oh, look, they were talking about the second law of thermodynamics right there. It's like they didn't know what that was. <laughs> um, so contextual principle. Third well, one is – Well, and, yeah, go and, well, no, truly, uh, Bible scholars, many, yeah. that, even want to teach all of us, would say that that is as critical, probably the, one of the number one issues – Context, 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 context. But think about it. It'd be like, I always say, you know, if you found, imagine you could find a really awful book. I mean, like a a, a fiction that's written out there. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Some romantic novel, they call them. I've got to be honest. I've never read one, but I do know that in those things are some smutty, awful things. Right. And you could find a sentence in that book somewhere that said, you know, John loved Mary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you'd say, oh, isn't that a wonderful book, John loved Mary? But then there's this whole awful stuff that unfolds over the next three or four pages. So (laughs) the point is you can't take something out of its context, right? right? That's probably a really bad example. I don't know why I just thought of that, but that's... I, it's maybe, a good example. I well, thought maybe, it hit the. I thought it okay, made sense. Okay, well, I probably used it before somewhere. Okay, the point though is, is you got to have a context, whether it's a letter, uh, and, and certainly in the right. Bible, you got to go. Okay, what you got to bring all that context to bear if we're going to have this conversation, and it makes more sense, right? Okay, got it. Right. Okay, here's another example. This might make more sense. Uh, you're reading an account of something that just happened. Maybe your mom is writing to you, and in within this letter, she says that your dad slapped uh, your brother. And you go, well, that sounds horrible. But then, if you read the whole context of the letter, you'd see that this yellow jacket bee just landed on his back, and he went to kill it. (laughs) And he slapped his back. He slapped him. So again, 
Context, context, context. Yeah, and there's, there's which there's, which means which means which means context. We're, we're 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 trying to look at what this author is saying to these people. The context to these people. It's not you. You don't get to say, well, this is what it means to me. Yeah. Oh, you hear people say that. Well, this is what I think it means to me. This is what it means. Yeah. <laughs> no, I. Hey, when when I was a young Christian, uh, I was part of a. You know, they would call it a Bible study. Well, not even young Christian. I've had this recently in the last few years. You see. People get together and say, we're going to have a Bible study. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then what they do is they'll read something and say, well, what's that mean to you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and what's that mean to you? And I'm la- I'm giggling because it's it happened ha- so much. It's like every uh, Bible study I've ever been in is like I'm like, like that. well, that's not actually a Bible study. That That no. is you telling us, sharing your ignorance about something. It's like, <laughs> it's like, no, this actually means something. When Paul wrote this to these people, when Moses wrote to this to the people, he meant something. And we need to get at that, and, and we do it by listening to the context. Who's the author? Who's the recipients? What time yep. period? Where are they at? What's going on in their midst? Yep. What What are they thinking about? And right. we that's this inductive process that we need to work through to, to okay, what is he trying to say to them? To them. Before, Not to me yet. <laughs> we, will, we will get to what's that mean for me. Yeah, but, but you first say God is actually communicating through a real person to real people in a context. Yep, got it. Okay, okay. that br- that brings so, us to our third principle, which is the one meaning principle. <laughs> there will normally only be one correct interpretation of a text, although there may be multiple applications. So, yep. here's the deal: expositors. We hear this word. Uh, I'm an expositor. Meaning, I'm a I'm a guy that goes into the Bible and I'm trying to find the one meaning of a text, <laughs> and I'm using these principles to come to this one meaning. So when I read a text, God has intended one meaning, not all these different meanings. Uh, we you know we use a law of non-contradiction here. It means this, and if it means this, it doesn't mean that. Okay, <laughs> it can't mean two things at once. Well, further coming back to where we're dealing with a real thing that was written. Um, yeah. And I'm sure you'll get to this. Well, we may wrestle again. What I usually say is somebody, we may think he was saying more than he meant or less than he meant, but you can't say he meant the counter of what he meant. Yeah, exactly. The complete opposite, right? And so I think of it, you know, it was was dark at night. Okay, well, does that mean dark where you can't hardly see your hand in front of your face or was it a full moon dark? Yeah. You know, well, what it doesn't mean is it's daylight. Right. Like, right. Like, so we, we can do that. And further, an important thing why we wrestle through this and we'll get to the wrestling through part eventually here. But um, when Paul wrote something again or Moses or any of the prophets, they actually did mean one thing. Yeah. They didn't mean to to a real people at that time. They, they actually meant something. And that's what we're trying to get at. Yeah. How they, would those people that they were writing to understand what he was saying? Yeah. So then. If, if we're sitting here and you came up with one thing that you think he said, and I came up with diff, a different one, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, either we're both wrong because we didn't get to it, or right. well, I'm one right, of us is right, or you're right, but we both can't be right if we're saying different things. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you messed it up. Either I'm right, or you're wrong, or you're right, and I'm wrong, or both wrong. Yeah. Whatever I said, yep. that's what I meant to say. Yeah, yeah, you just messed up your words a little bit. I don't think you even caught it. <laughs> okay. okay. But the point is, is that they meant something with that. Yep. 
And again, we'll, we'll get to that, but you know, go, based on what we said earlier, most of the time when you read the Bible, for seriously, with the tremendous years of scholarship and we can look at original languages and get to the English, it's pretty clear when you read you know, I've been doing a study of Proof Peter with guys, and it said, to, you know, it's right, the first sentence is, to these aliens, these sojourners, it meant these pilgrims who find themselves as aliens, like they don't belong in these various yep. areas. Well, that's what it means. Yeah. They find themselves as Christians, and they kind of don't fit where they're at. Okay, right. right. Good. That's what he meant. Pretty easy. Pretty straightforward. Mm -hmm. he, didn't yep. mean, he didn't mean green Martians. You're green Martians from another land. From you know, it's not what he meant. We, we pretty much know what he meant, right? And, and, you know, okay. This is. I'll add this. You may be thinking, man, but I've, you know, I've been a Christian for a while, and I just I've noticed that so many Christians just have different interpretations, and different views, and all this stuff, and it's just like. And here's again. Here's one of the issues when it comes to interpreting your Bible. We have to remember that we actually still do have this thing called the flesh. And it's waging war against us in our souls, in our members. Uh, our flesh is an opposition to the Spirit. Our flesh is in opposition to the truth. Our flesh is in, in opposition to the true meaning of the text. Satan does not want us to correctly understand what the Bible is saying. We have real enemies, actually, real spiritual forces right now, waging war on the church, waging war on people understanding what the Bible is actually saying. And the true meaning of the Bible, I mean, it's in opposition to what our flesh wants. So we have to realize that when you come to the Bible, though it may be very clear, it's clearly said, there it is, very literal, very clear, there's one meaning, it's hard to misunderstand this. The reality is you still have a flesh that in a sense wants to misunderstand it. And you might give more weight to your flesh than you should. And it's saying something to you very clearly, but man, I don't want to change my life right now. So I'm just going to kind of misunderstand it a little bit or try to justify this other interpretation that could be possible, but it really isn't. <laughs> and that's the reality. Like, you have to realize, and you see this so clearly. Um, I say this because I had, I mean, I did a whole series on the doctrines of grace. You see this so clearly when it comes to God's sovereignty in your salvation. We have this fleshly desire to be autonomous. We've been talking about this. I want to be the determiner of my destiny. I want a destiny. I want to be in control of my life. And that's fleshly in us. That's what the flesh wants. It wants to be in control. And then when we come to the text and it says, you're not in control. God's sovereign over your whole life. He's predetermined your whole life. He's written your days in his book before you were even born. He totally saved you by his grace. You, nothing, you did nothing in this at all. Nothing in your salvation. All you are is all you have to offer is filthy rags, and it says God chose you. You didn't choose Him. You are not born by the will of uh, you know the will of man or the will of flesh, but the will of God. That rubs against our flesh. So though there's very explicit and very clear verses all over Scripture that talk about God's election of certain individuals and God's predestination and God's sovereignty and over everything. We just have this part of us that doesn't like to hear that. So we, in a sense, purposely misunderstand it. 
or we philosophize it. And that's just, again, part of this interpretative thing. No, it really is a pretty clear... The, Bibles are, the Bible is actually very clear, but we are stupid human beings that have this sinful nature uh, that is kind of causing some problems. So, fourth principle, the exegetical principle. The meaning of any biblical text must be drawn from the text rather than be ascribed to the text. So we already talked about this. Eisegesis, Dan mentioned, reading something into the text, versus exegesis. So the exegetical, exegetical principle is that we are drawing, drawing from the text the meaning, not ascribing to the text a meaning that we've already come to or that we got from somewhere else or from the world or from some, you know, some philosopher somewhere who thought of an idea and now we're going to ascribe it to the Bible. No, <laughs> not at all. Um, fifth one is the linguistic principle. The original languages of the Bible always take precedence over any given translation. So the original manuscripts were the ones inspired and now we are translating them. And so we have to give precedence to the original language. So the Hebrew, the Aramaic, and the Greek over our English translations. Though, as Dan has already said, and as we've already said, it's amazing how accurate our English translations are. Like 99.5, the same. Like, man. And, and it doesn't compromise on any doctrine. It's just like some grammatical things, like a comma or something. <laughs> really not a big deal at all. But again, we give precedence to the original language, and that's where we get our English translations from, the original language. Um, so here's something that people have done, which is an error. Uh, say they, you have your original Greek, let's say you translate it into English, and then you use the English version to now translate it into Spanish, and then the Spanish version to now translate it into French, and now the French to translate it into Arabic. There's where you can cause some difficulties. That's not what we're doing. We have one, you know, we have the original manuscripts, we have the original language, the Greek, and we're having that be our source, or the Hebrew, whatever it is, and we're going from... Greek to English, from Greek to French, from Greek to Spanish, from Greek to Arabic, yeah. from Greek to Mandarin. That's yeah. what we're doing. I think that's an important point, Sam. I have those conversations a lot. Um, the settings I go into a lot are uh, with unbelievers who are asking me questions. Some settings in universities, some in the jail system. I do that quite a bit. Yep. In fact, prior to COVID, I was in the jail literally every week. 10 to, 10 to 20 guys pile in a room, different guys often. In large, yep. large measure, different guys ask me anything they want. And this issue of scripture comes up quite a bit. Yeah. And so just to emphasize what you said, I want people to think through a couple of statements just quickly. Like a lot of people think that our translation of our Bible was through this idea like we did when we were kids in the classroom. You know, the telephone, tele yeah, telephone game. You whisper something in somebody's ear or somebody. And by the time you get to the last person in the room, it's different than when it started. Yeah, And so the common question I'll ask guys when we get into this conversation is I said, so you're sitting here with this English Bible in front of you. You know, we, we could go, we go back 2000 years and we have these early original manuscripts. Mm -hmm. You know, there was actually an original Paul, Pauline letter, you know, and, mm -hmm. and then there were all these copies of this letter. And mm -hmm. um, how many steps do you think there are from that original one to the one you're looking at on the table right here? Mm-hmm. And then I'll ask people, how many think it's more than 100? 
And yeah. a few, few guys raise their hands. How many more than 50? Hardly any ever, ever gets the answer and say, right. actually, actually, it's one step. Yeah. What you just said, but but it's a great way to phrase it to people. They're, and they kind of look at you and say, so do you think it's you know less than 10? And some people, ah, yeah, maybe less than 10. Say, uh, it's one. <laughs> yeah. And they suddenly like, what? I said, oh, yeah, it's one. Yeah. It's the very thing you just said. And I, I just think it's a powerful statement to help people understand how we ended up with this English Bible. Right. It's very helpful. It's very helpful. So So that's the linguistic principle. The sixth one is the progressive principle. Later revelation may clarify, complete, or supersede early earlier revelation. So, uh, again, our, our canon of Scripture right now, the Bibles that we have, 66 books, uh, it, it progressed over time, again, over... Uh, a period of about 1500 years um, where God had been revealing new revelation. Uh, the spirit had been inspiring men to write scripture. And so we have this progressive revelation. So at one point they just had the Pentateuch or the Torah. And then you had some more historical writings. Then you had some prophecy being written. And then the, the old Testament ended with, with Malachi about uh, 435 BC about, and then there was a period of uh, about, you know, 400 years, a little over 40 years, where God did not uh, reveal any new uh, uh, scripture. And he even says that there's going to be a drought of the word of God uh, in Amos. Uh, you're not going to hear any more of my words. I'm not going to speak to you. Uh, and then Jesus comes on the scene, God in the flesh. And then obviously we're getting more scripture, more inspiration. Jesus is speaking. Uh, you have the apostles who were given this special uh, ability, the Spirit uh, brought back to them the knowledge of, of all that Jesus did so that they could write, uh, and then he inspired them as they wrote their letters to these <coughs> churches in the first century, uh, and it was God's very word. And then after they died, after the last apostle died, John, and his last uh, book was Revelation, uh, the canon closed. And that's now this whole uh, one faith, we as we talked about with our our, our topic on um, um, unity and diversity. We have this one faith, this one uh, collection of doctrine, this one revelation, this special revelation, this revealed word, and now we have it. And it's, it's, it's complete. It's not exhaustive on, on, in, on everything that of all knowledge in all the universe, but it is complete. It is sufficient for us. It is accurate and truthful and authoritative. Now, can and, I add... Can I add to that a couple of things? Um, Absolutely. Well, because as soon as you hear progressive revelation, I want to make sure yeah. people aren't confused by that. Yeah. It doesn't. Because progressive is a connotation word. <laughs> oh, yeah. There you go. What we talked about earlier. People put meaning into it. It just simply means like God gave some revelation, say, in Genesis. And then yep. there was further revelation of that truth. It continued yep. to unfold, gain more color, gain more maturity that we understood more of it. So early in Genesis, a simple one would be there are these allusions to the Trinity. There's an allusion yep. to the coming Messiah, you know, yeah. who's going to crush Satan's head. Well, yep. it's very, you know, some people might say cryptic. I mean, it's there, but you don't yeah. quite know what that would mean. If all you had at that point was the revelation of Genesis, you wouldn't know. Yeah. But then it unfolds. Now, here's part of why this there's a beauty here. This unfolding yeah. shows the harmony of why we have these 66 books. And, and that's the seventh principle, the harmony principle. Yeah, this, these, <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, these, the yep. point in the progressive, though, too, let me reemphasize, there's, there's a yeah. harmony of these things. They fit together. Yeah. And you're going to say more about that. But my point is, is that it's not like 
and, and there's a reason I'm saying all this, Sam. There's further clarification. There's a harmony. Here's why I'm saying it is that, you know, you're, you're immersed in it up there. There are denominations today who have abandoned the authority of Scripture, and they yeah. have big banners in front of their buildings that they call churches. Sometimes I wonder if they're a church, if they don't believe in the deity of Christ and don't believe that God's really spoken, and salvation is Christ alone. I don't know if they're really a church, but they could, they're called a church, and they literally have big banners that say God is still speaking. Yeah, I've seen them. Right, and you know what they're talking I've about. I see them in my own community. They're talking about transgender and sexuality and homosexuality, yep. and somehow we have new knowledge from God about yep. about those things. Right. That's the point. And so yep. this idea of progressive revelation is not that. Not that at all. Right. That's, I, I, <laughs> oh. that, was, that was more of a point. Don't, I wanted, here, here's the, don't hear what we're not saying. <laughs> no, it's not that. It's that yeah. there's, some, there's truths in Genesis that then unfold in the prophets, or, you know, in the Pentateuch, the first five books, they yep. more and more and more unfolds in the prophets, more and more unfolds when you get to the New Testament Gospels. And by the time you're done with the Revelation, there's the picture that God wants us to have. Yep, boom. It's complete. It's final. The canon's yep. closed. No more new Revelation. <laughs> yep, there it is. Okay, good enough. Yep. And then, yeah, seventh principle, harmony principle. Any given portion of the Bible can have only that meaning which harmonizes with the doctrine of the Bible as a whole. There will be no... Uh, there will be continuity between books of the Bible. Yeah, which is so. just remarkable in itself and demonstrates the reality of what God has given us here. That you have these yep. books, 66 books written over 1,500... I mean, you got, again, we've said it before, but 1,500 years that thing was written. Yeah. By 40-some some different over, authors, yeah. many yep. different walks of life, and yet the whole thing, you put it together and the... Boom. It's a symphony. It fits together. It It's not a yep. cacophony. It's a harmony. It's... It's, it's beautiful. It's, it's one it's, overarching story. I think of just Jesus showing up and how he fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. And, yep. you know, even that when we say he fulfilled, I mean, think about this. It's not just that the individual prophecies were fulfilled, but the individual uh, prophecies, which were written centuries apart, all come together in a coherent, cohesive story and reality in Jesus. They like mm. they all fit together in this continuity of just those few years of Jesus's life. That, yep. That in itself, like the harmony of all this stuff is just stunning. Stunning. Yep. And and it's beautiful and it and it's Yep. Again, I mean, you should be hearing these things as we're going through these principles and we're talking about this and you should be greatly encouraged, I would hope. Yeah. Um and and comforted in a sense that man we've been given a bible we've been given a book we've been given god's revelation that's it's clear it's authoritative you it, it's reasonable uh you can trust it uh and like we've said you're not taking yet you're trusting it by faith but it's not this blind leap of faith <laughs> yeah. it's very it's a very reasonable faith if it's reality yeah again it's it's a tremendous thing um and we have it in our hands and we often uh we don't value it enough. I mean, we, we and again, we can't value it enough. We're finite. We don't truly understand that we have this, the very words of God uh, revealed to us. It speaks to us. Uh, it changes us. It transforms us. It, it sanctifies us. It renews our minds. It's making us like Christ as we interact with it. If you're a believer and you have the Spirit of God in you, the Spirit illuminates it to our minds, applies it to our hearts. It's an incredible thing. And we, we have it. It's incredible. So 
I mean, we're we're at an hour and a half right now, and we haven't even dug into Genesis yet, <laughs> which is good because this is the deal. We those are the seven principles. We okay. we needed to. Can, can we yeah, can we go, do something quickly though? So let's step yeah. back. Step back. We started with three uh, uh, hurdles that we have to get over if we're going to understand a particular text. Yep. And in some ways, it's not any different than me getting a letter from my wife or me writing yep. you an email. There are these yep. things we have to deal. So if we're going to go to the scripture, we have to deal with the historical yep. hurdles. That is, there's time and there's a culture and there's geography that we need to know. The second yep. hurdle that we have to deal with is is the language. Yep. What do we literary. call it? Liter it's actually literary, right? So yep. there's language involved and it's a particular genre of material. Yep. And then there's the theological. Yep. Right? There's these. Yep. We got we got to we got to put this together with a with this harmony of what God's saying and see how it then uh, applies yeah. to our day today. What's that yeah, mean? Once we once we yeah. understand the theological principle, you could say, yeah, uh, it has some bearing on my life today. And how do I apply that? Yep, exactly. And, and then you had these seven principles of the actual yep. interpretive process. They're they're yep. literal. Yep. Take it take it at its basic meaning. Yep. Contextual context is everything. Yep. That author yep. that author did mean something. So let's dig for it. There is right. well, he didn't mean twenty things. He meant something when he wrote that. Yep. The exegetical principle. We try to take yep. it out of the text, not put stuff into it. Yep. Ling linguistic. Though yep. we have a great translation in English, if we had a struggle, we go back to the one original uh, language that it was written in. Mm-hmm. Pretty much Hebrew or Aramaic in the Old Testament, mostly Hebrew. And then yep. pre pretty much all Greek in the New Testament with a couple Aramaic, right? A couple quotes by Jesus that might... Yeah, that he quoted from, from the Old Testament. Yeah, right. Yep. And then uh, progressive revelation just means that there's this unfolding from the beginning of your Bible to the end, and we get the clarity by the end. The, the mature... Yeah. The, not that we don't have clarity in the beginning, but the mature clarity is the way I would say it. Is... Yeah. And then number seven... Harmony. It all fits together. It's all all fits together. It's all it has continuity. Yep. Um, so one part it, of it can't. No, there's no contradiction. Can't. can't yep. Yeah, it can't contradict. And if it does, we got a problem. We got to go. Wait a minute. We're getting something wrong. If there's some contradiction. Yeah. And it's if we think there's a contradiction, it's a it's an error on our side. Right. right. We mess something up <laughs> yep, because yep. God, wh whose word it is, cannot contradict Himself. Right. He is truth by definition. Very we have good. to understand that's presuppositions again. That's yeah. presuppositions. Okay. And if you go to the text without these presuppositions and without this understanding, you're going to come to some wrong conclusions, and that's what we see today: wrong yeah. conclusions because somebody hasn't done their due diligence, uh, and they've missed these steps. So and maybe they purposely have. So this is interesting, Sam, uh, because we wanted to talk about this biblical perspective of manhood, womanhood, relationship, marriage, this thing. Yep. We said we're going to get to Genesis, but we're. Before you and I got on the podcast today, we had said, hey, we probably need to do a little bit of an introduction about how we approach the Bible. Right? <laughs> and actually, we've spent an hour and a half talking about probably the most important thing. Yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't regret that we went this long one yeah, bit. Yeah. Uh, man, so, we have to understand this. This is... <laughs> yep. So, again, we frame this, though. We frame this of, hey, we're going to be talking about manhood and womanhood. So these are the principles now. Uh, so when when we eventually down the road and our episodes come to an interpretation of a text that you don't like, um, check us. Did we employ these principles when we interpreted this text? And if we did, 
then you have to come to the point of wrestling with this reality of, man, am I going to submit to what the text is saying or not? Is the way I've thought about this before wrong and thus now I have to change because the the word of God is God's authoritative word to me? I mean, that's where it comes up to. That's where we get to this thing of application now. Am I going to actually be a doer of the word or just a hear? That's what James says. Yeah. The, the person who who hears the word but doesn't do it is like a man but, but who looks at himself in the mirror and forgets what he looks like. <laughs> Sometimes I'd like to. <laughs> okay, but no, seriously, uh, you're tipping your hand on some stuff because you, you're assuming we're going to run into some um, people are going to run into some snags. And, oh you know, yeah, you know yeah, just oh, yeah. the way just the way you're kind of ad libbing our uh, which, yeah, which yeah. we do. Okay, but let me let me say something really important. Uh, even that, where it starts feeling complicated, maybe, is an application, and mm-hmm. that is because we're running into a culture that's saying a lot of things contrary to what the scripture says. Yeah, yep. but be- but before we get nervous, you get nervous listening to this. The way I like to come at this stuff is putting the pieces on the table first. That's what I always say. Like, we've got to put the revelatory, revelation, the truth of God, the pieces on the table first. And that's Mm -hmm. what we're going to try to do next. Mm -hmm. And before we say, oh, we know where they're going with application, set that aside for a moment. Let's get the pieces on the table first. Yeah. Yep. So, what so, does the Bible say? So, so you know where it's easier for me theologically and having these conversations with people, Sam, that sometimes makes a little more sense, I think, to me, is when we think of things like um, uh, the Trinity. Okay, yeah. Trinity's one for me. Okay, so I've got to go to my Bible and start putting the pieces on the table of the nature of God. Who is God? Yep. yep. And before I come up with the conclusion, i got to put it on here. And what do we have? We end up with, oh. God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. I don't go to one verse in my Bible and go Trinity, and we come right. up with You're not you, don't, you don't see, see that word in your Bible. But this reality is very clear. Sometimes I tell people, really, if you dig into the, especially the original language, and really dig, it's almost on every page of your Bible. Sometimes is what it feels like. It that yeah. doctrine of Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, is in far more places than you can comprehend if you really took the time to go through it. It's vast. Yeah. It isn't yeah. just a verse here or there. And sometimes in our basic fundamental discipleship, we, I remember when I was first being, say, discipled as a, a young Christian and somebody was taking me through, you know, five steps to growth or 20 or 11 steps hops to jump through the Christian life or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They'd give you two or three proof texts, two or three verses to make a point. And I remember yeah. even back then going, well, I don't know. There's got to be more to it than that, you know. So yeah. the point is, is that you got to put your pieces on the table. Another one that I think of is the nature of Christ. How do we understand who Jesus is? Well, he's fully God mm-hmm. and fully man. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the conclusion, though, mm-hmm. after we put the pieces on the table. Mm-hmm. You know, you talk about the doctrines of grace. you got to put the pieces on the table. And you can't get around the fact that, that in the scriptures, there's the elect. There's predestination. That's there. I've had people say, oh, I there. don't like to talk about predestination. I'm like, but it's in the Bible. Well, the, and actually, that's one where the word is actually in the Bible. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's my point. I'm going to go, yeah. well, wait a minute. That actual word's here. So you can try to dismiss it. But before you get to the application or the, whatever you're uncomfortable with doing that, you've got to put all the pieces on the table first. Yeah. And so one of the ones I go to, because really what we're talking about, I talk, I, I, we said Trinity, I said Incarnation. This other one then is is the sovereignty of God and yet 
the will of man. Yep, that, man's that responsibility. To, yeah, and then I want to go to a passage like Acts 2.23 that says uh, uh, Peter's preaching to the Jewish people right after, you know, on the day of Pentecost, and he said, yep. this man, meaning Jesus, yep. delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by hands of godless men and put him to death. Yep. Now, in that one verse is God's in complete control. This is the predetermined plan of God. He had it. It was. It, he knew it before, not because he sat back and watched it. It was predetermined before the foundations of the right. world. And yet, he holds man accountable for driving the nails. Yep. Boom. There it is. And they're both there. That's the point. They're both and there. So, and so you got to put the pieces on the table and then step back and say, okay, what do I make of this? Yep. And I want to keep emphasizing that because that's how this other issue works. We are so, so caught up in a culture that's talking about, and it's so close to our hearts, right? Identity. But we have all these uh, views from sociology, all these views from psychology, all these views from, you know, uh, family therapy, uh, yeah. political science. You've got so many stuff flying around Yep. that you got to kind of take a breath and step back and say, okay, let do we believe God spoke to us on this? Yes, he did. Let's put the pieces on the table. Mm -hmm. And, and we got a real enemy trying to deceive us. Yeah, there you go. So what we want to do next then, I think if I understand our time together right, is yeah. that we're going to do some other subsequent ones now where we're going to begin to put some pieces on the table. We're going to start with yep. Genesis, talk about yep. the Old Testament, New Testament, Jesus' view, Paul's. Yep wrap it up at the end of our Bible and say, yep. here's the overall view. Here are the pieces. They're on the yep. table. Now, yep. what does that mean for us and how we live here in our world today? Right. Right. Exactly. Man, it's get me all jazzed up. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you've been listening to these podcast episodes, I've been, I've been talking about hermeneutical principles ad nauseum, it feels like. And I kept, I keep saying, man, we need to just have an episode just on hermeneutical principles and I haven't done it yet. I guess now this is what, this is it. <laughs> so this will be great. Uh, so yes, it is indeed connected to this topic of manhood and womanhood. But I guess it could stand alone as just a uh, discussion of hermeneutical principles. <laughs> but this was great. This was necessary. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I hope that my my fear is is that somebody now is just going to jump straight into our next episode and not have not have listened to this one. But hopefully. I'll make it evident in the beginning of the next one that, hey, please listen to the one on hermeneutical principles before you listen to this current one on Genesis. Uh, but nonetheless, that was a, a good discussion that we had, a necessary discussion that we just had on, on how we interpret our Bible. What are these presuppositions that have to guide our lives, that have to be our source, have to be our bedrock, our foundation, our first dom domino, as Dan said in this line, um, that determines our ultimate conclusions. So this was a this was a necessary discussion. So hopefully you enjoyed it. Hopefully you learned something. Man, hopefully you were even encouraged of how awesome it is that we have this book, this Bible, this this closed canon. Man, this this totally revealed word to us, uh, the whole picture in a sense. It's truly an amazing thing. So uh, hopefully it even just ignites in you a little bit more of a passion to dive <laughs> dive into the Word of God and read it yourself and study it, and learn it, and grow and learn in it, and understand it. But, uh, yeah, uh, I hope you're look, looking forward to the next episode as we get into Genesis 1 through 3. 
and start to put the pieces on the table. Thanks for listening. Bye.